Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal. 
growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. In this episode of The Unmistakable Creative, I speak with Mark Bowden about how to use body language and nonverbal communication to influence and persuade people and change human behavior. Mark, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. So I was introduced to you by uh, a way of a uh, former guest and good friend of ours, uh, Michael Bungay-Stanye, if I pronounced that even correctly or not, uh, who was here years ago and somehow started digging into my work. And when I asked him for uh, any ideas, he actually mentioned your name. So on that note, uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your work, uh, your journey, your story, and how that has brought you to what you're up to in the world today? Yeah, sure. So, uh, well, let me tell you a bit about what my work is at the moment, and then we'll kind of we'll kind of head backwards in time or, or flip around in time. So, so what I do right now is I'm an expert in body language and human behaviour, which means that the majority of my time I, I'm I'm doing that kind of expert thing of going out and talking to crowds, could be a, a you know a few hundred people, a few thousand in some cases, or just one on one, to help people use their behavior on purpose in order to stand out from the crowd and win trust when they speak. And essentially, um, well, I mean, create a a personality around themselves that attracts people, essentially. But by uh, changing the environment around them, uh, the environment being themselves. So I change people's body language in order to change the feeling that people have about them. Does that make some kind of oh, sense? Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, cool. Uh, now, how did I get here? So, uh, way, way back, I remember reading, well, so I wasn't a great reader, actually. Or, or, or let me just get this right. I wasn't a great speller. And so, you know, maybe didn't read as much as I should because um, I didn't spell that well, but I loved pictures. So, so I'm dyslexic. So, so reading and writing uh, was always a little bit of a uh, an issue and a and a problem. In fact, generally, just pe- people at school thought I was just uh, lazy and stupid, um, and neither of those was particularly true. So, I used to love pictures and drawing pictures and seeing pictures. And there was a magazine called The Observer, which. Um, came out every Sunday in England, which is where I'm from originally, and they had a colour supplement. And so it was a a Sunday newspaper with a colour supplement, and they had some great photography in there. And I remember seeing a picture of a theatre company, and they did plays with masks. They had big, like, they, like, wore, like, cartoon heads, essentially. And I just looked at this picture, and I thought, that looks great. That looks like really good fun. These people have got kind of cartoon heads on and they're putting on some kind of play. I thought, that looks really good. And I thought, I'd quite like to do that. And then didn't think much of it apart from I kept hold of the picture because it was such a good picture. Then a few years later, I found myself studying performance art at the university where that theatre company had studied and training with the guy who trained them, who at the time, a guy called John Wright, who was and still is one of Europe's uh, top experts in mask theatre. So I ended up studying with him and really dedicating my uh, time to know everything I could around mask theatre and how to tell stories with pictures. So I started off telling stories with pictures. And that's how I got into the behavior and body language area, was looking at people's behavior and and trying to mimic it to see how that would alter the narrative for the audience. Does that that make some sense as well? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, So I, I spent the first part of my career as a performer and a director and a trainer of actors, but in this very, very specific area of what we call visual theatre or um, uh, physical theatre. And uh, I ended up working, by the way, for the co- one of my first, well, actually my first uh, acting job 
was working for the company that I had, theatre company that I'd seen that picture of in the Observer magazine. So, uh, but anyway, when I then got to work for them, it was rather like joining your favourite band and feeling that you've made it and now they're making albums that aren't so good. (laughs) (laughs) it 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 was a great time, but they weren't making the shows that I'd seen in that picture and also I'd then been to see as a student which had just you know kind of uh put a fire in me to be able to work with them and and by the time I got to work with them it was it was it wasn't so good anyway the uh what I then happened was I kind of went into the mainstream of theater uh visual theater and physical theater got actually quite popular if it, it was it, when I first started studying it. It was it was some kind of well, everybody just thought it was mime. They they kind of thought, oh, well, you must do mime then. And I think they envisaged you always in some kind of black leotard or white leotard with with a white face and doing trapped in a bubble. If you've ever seen that Marcel Marceau kind of what we call illusionary mime, and and though that's kind of fun, that's not really what I was into. What I was into was how do you change people's emotions using your body? How do you perform in front of somebody? How do you show up in the world and cause them to think and feel something different from what they've felt and and, and thought before? So I started working in the mainstream of theatre and film and TV and got very well known in that area. Anyway, so at some point, somebody came along to me and said, do you think you could do this, this stuff that you do with people in kind of business and organizations and politics? Do you think you could help people behave in such a way that they'd be able to alter the audience's views of them? Mm-hmm. And essentially, what I would say is, is manipulate the idea that, that is had about them. I said, well, you know, as long as they're a human being, as long as they've got kind of roughly two arms, two legs and a head in roughly the same place as every other human being, they'll be able to do what we're doing here, which is to on purpose change the feelings of an audience, regardless of the content. That was the interesting thing. Hmm. None of the, what I do, it doesn't really matter what anybody's saying. It's about what they're doing that actually influences and persuades what people thought they said. So, you know, my, my theory and science on it would be is that we're making up what, what people said most of the time. Mm-hmm. We're just coming up with what we thought they said, given the context and their behavior and our behavior around that. So if we can change the behavior, if we can change the environment, the context, we don't have to change the words. They'll just change the words. The audience will just change the words to fit their expectations of what somebody would say in that environment and, and context. So from there, I got into working with business people and politicians and on from there, talking to big audiences about all of this stuff and using many of the skills that I'd, that I'd uh, originally learned on, on the stage. Hmm. So that's kind of, I don't know whether that tells a, tells a, a, a sensible arc, but, but, that's where I started and here I am now. Okay. Very, very cool. So there's there's a ton of stuff here and I figured there would be just based on the, on the, the nature of this. You know, I, I want to dig back uh, a little deeper into the beginning of your story. One thing that's sure. interesting to me is that you mentioned that you were dyslexic. Mm. Uh, and... You know, it, it's interesting because I, I look at this, you know, so many people who are entrepreneurs have been known to be, you know, dyslexic or have ADHD or, you know, sort of things. I'm really interested in, in dealing with that experience, especially at a young age, feeling, you know, you said that people saw you as lazy and unmotivated and you were neither. Uh, you know, I mean, I think to some degree I've experienced that. And I'm really interested in, in navigating and overcoming that internal narrative of, oh, I'm seen as lazy and motivated, but the reality is I'm just dyslexic and, and you know, how you've turned that around. Yeah, so I mean, my experience of it back as a as a kid was I always wanted to do well at stuff. I always I wasn't sitting around going, I don't think any of this really matters. Everything really mattered to me in terms of 
being good at stuff. I mean, you know, I have a, I'm really motivated by being good and trying to be the best at everything that I, that I do to the extent of that nowadays I won't really tackle anything unless I think I can be the best in the world at it. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm, I'm a little bit trapped by this, you know, wanting to be fantastic at, at what, I, what I do. And it was the same back then. I wanted to be good at stuff. But when it came to the world of, of school... Um, I think what what would happen is I can see that partly the distress that that teachers would get into is that they would hear me talk and they'd get a sense of what they thought my intelligence level was and my engagement and then they'd see the work that I do and there was such a disparity between it they the solution you know the the theory they came up with is you must be doing this on purpose. You know, there can't possibly be this disparity between how you are live and how you are on paper. You know, you can't be as good talking about maths and then we see that the the answer that you gave is so wrong. You can't be so good at talking about English or creating stories or telling stories and then when we see it written down, it literally has none of the words make any sense and certainly not in that order. So there was such a disparity that I think they got quite upset with me and, and, and maybe angry or, or just um, confused mm-hmm. by it, I think. And, and what tended to come out is, uh, you know, you, you're being stupid or you're just being lazy or you're not trying. And I think the, one of the most disappointing things was always having somebody say, you're not trying. Because if there was anything that I was doing, I was really trying. In fact, you know, when you, when you, uh, my experience is having dyslexia is, is you know s- something weird is going on and you try even harder. And then the more stressed you get about how you're trying, the worse it gets. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's been interesting going, going through that. And I guess it, it creating a sense of, um, you know, I, I think I'm going to show you. Mm-hmm. I'll show you. I'll show you how good I can. I can get at something. Wow. In fact, I've heard similar stories from. I've been, I've, I've been doing some work with a, a, a dyslexia dyslexia organisation, uh, which includes uh, Jamie Oliver working on it and Richard Branson working on it. So we've been doing some stuff together, mm-hmm. and uh, both Jamie and Richard are, are dyslexic as as well. And there's some similar stories there of of just not fitting in right. at at school. And then going out into the world and finding something you can do and then trying your, you know, really working hard to be the best at it. Mm -hmm. And having a very different attitude than a lot of people out there who've maybe found some of those early years a a little more, a a little easier to handle, I think. So... um, and I'm an, you know, I'd class myself as an entrepreneur as well, and so I understand how it can be difficult with that mindset to work for people, <laughs> and and a little easier to work, you know, for yourself and with other people, um, because there's a certain way you kind of do stuff, mm-hmm. and 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 other people, you know, their focus is in different areas that you just don't have a have a focus on yeah like i like i don't know whether it's the same for you but i just want to get stuff done so quickly <laughs> and i think i think a lot of entrepreneurs are like that you know they want to get stuff done quickly and 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 the moment anybody starts to talk about kind of long-term strategy mm-hmm. i'm just ah, oh, i just don't see that right. at all and number one academically yeah. uh it doesn't doesn't add up because mm-hmm. because that's like having you know, a long-term strategy about bringing up a child. It's like, who, knows, who knows what's going to... No, any, any business is a relatively complex situation. It's not complicated, it's complex. So yeah. there are so many things that could happen. Having, having a strategy that you think would work is, is kind, of, kind of crazy as far as I can see. You just, you just have a goal and you, and you get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I guess to that extent, I'll never be running a large organisation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may I may be in the same boat. Uh, yeah. You know, so 
I, I or I may be the founder of one, but never in charge. Right, of exactly. Running it. Exactly. Well, let me ask you something. Uh, one thing that really is interesting to me that you said there is because of of being dyslexic, it gave you a different attitude than somebody who had had it easier uh, in those earlier years might have. And part of me wonders if you know that attitude is actually the edge that allows you to do what you do. And if we didn't have the, the crucible or the challenge uh, of something this difficult. How do we cultivate that kind of an attitude or that edge in our own lives? Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I would translate into, um, into kind of dramatic terms in that, you know, the real, the real drama is in the problem. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, you know, the motivation is in the problem. That, 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 and so, yeah, I, I guess there's a lot of drive for me comes from that early problem uh, having said that you, you you're you're carrying around uh a problem that isn't really a problem anymore mm-hmm. or or that actually i've uh, learned to handle better you know i just don't write anything down or if i am writing stuff down i tell people i just go so i'm dyslexic so when i write this stuff down it may look like the word to you or it may not mm-hmm. <laughs> So, so I kind of take the take the ground of I'm just I'm writing it my way. Uh, if it doesn't fit with your way, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I go to the bank and uh, and uh, you know I, I need to put in a, a a check you know manually with a with a with a teller, they'll hand me the slip and go can you know fill fill that out and I'll say well so I'm dyslexic so if I write it down all the numbers will come out in a way that that won't add up right so you'll need to do it for me if we want the numbers to be right (laughs) so 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 it's kind of like saying look i can do it my way but but it it won't fit in so but but i'm happy you know i'm happy for it to go any way well usually any teller wants their work to be accurate (laughs) accurate so it's great you do it you want the numbers to be accurate you do it um so so i think you you know we, we you work out a way to to manage it, mm-hmm. but but programmed into your limbic brain is this experience of people uh, suggesting that you're not you're not trying, uh, you're not uh, yeah you're, you're lazy, you're not trying, and I think that does hang around with you for for longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Well, let's do this. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit. And let's talk about this whole period of, you know, working as, uh, you know, a performer, director, uh, and a trainer in visual theater. How has that whole experience influenced and shaped uh, the way you see the world, the way you tell stories, uh, and the way that you do the work that you do today? Yeah, so I think, um, I guess guess one of the massive bonuses is, is that, uh, you know, in the world of, of, of performance, I, you know, I was really pretty good. So that doesn't mean I, I worked a hell of a lot, but I was pretty good. <laughs> so, so you know, you start to understand that how good you are at anything doesn't necessarily mean you can be commercially successful. And, uh, you know, it's not the best cereal that sells the most. It's the best sold cereal that sells the most. Mm-hmm. So... You know, at the same time as having that striving for for being really good at something, it doesn't necessarily mean that you get the the results in terms of uh, you know, I guess, I guess the uh, the size of audience that you might like. Sure. But none, but nonetheless, here's what here's what happens: is being being good at that means that with what I'm doing now and getting across these ideas around nonverbal communication and behaviour, is when I'm on stage keynote speaking for an audience. They're, they're seeing they're seeing a, a kind of a performance on stage that the majority of other speakers just aren't going to be able to come up with simply because they don't have the technique mm-hmm. they don't have the experience and the and the and the technique uh, look I would say in life there are there are no real naturals at anything it's all learned behavior and and you get good at something because you learn the behavior everything's learnable everything's teachable and i just happen to learn and teach and how to perform mm-hmm. so when i walk on in front of an audience 
they're seeing somebody very, very good at performing who has who is fascinated by the world of nonverbal communication and behavior. Hmm. So you're seeing somebody who's who manages to get across in a great performance that content. So that's been a massive. Um, all of that's been a massive bonus for me in terms of being good at at speaking to a large audience about the stuff that I speak about. Now, also having that that time in the in the world of performance uh, means, and in and the, in that specific area of nonverbal performance means I, I really know what I'm talking about in terms of the nonverbal mm-hmm. world. And, and, and a view that other people who are experts in this area don't have. Most experts, I would suggest, in, in the world of body language and nonverbal tend, tend to be and have tended to be experts around the idea of how can you, you know, watch other people and get a sense of their behavior and kind of maybe get the upper hand on them because you can read their minds. It's kind of that kind of feel to it. That's not what I'm into at all. It's kind of interesting, but it's not not what I'm into simply because it's actually not very helpful mm-hmm. for people. The idea that you might be able to read somebody's mind. Well, when it's not true, you can't read people's minds. I've really looked into this. And, 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 then, and Despite and there what are, the psychics tell you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, despite what... Yeah, if, if you ever go and visit a, a psychic or, you know, somebody who says, I read people's minds and they... Uh, they do their mind reading thing. Just need to tell you, they're not reading your mind. It's just, <laughs> it it is like, I can categorically tell you, it's not happening. Yeah. They could be guessing and guessing right, mm-hmm. but I don't know how long they'll be able to do that. I mean, some people are just better guessers than others. <laughs> and, you know, if you guess enough and have enough people coming for guesses, you have a much higher hit rate of guessing, guessing right. So if you do it on a daily basis, with a lot of people, you get a lot of hits. Um, you get a lot of misses as well. It's how you handle the misses and handle the, the right guesses. So anyway, so nobody's, uh, nobody's uh, mind reading um, out there. Um, I mean, I kind of veered, veered off on a skew there, so I've forgotten where I was initially. No, no worries. Initially going with that. But um, yes, I guess it's about, you know, what what advantage has it given? Oh yeah, no, I know what I was talking about. So it, uh, <laughs> the uh, yeah, I'm, what I'm interested in is how you can use your body language mm-hmm. in order to influence and persuade people. Not how can you read other people's body language in order to influence and persuade them or get the upper hand on them. Uh, one because you're not going to be able to read their minds. Sure. You're going to be able to. You're going to get a theory based on their behaviour. And your chances of, of that theory being correct are quite low. However, your chances of, of governing your own behavior are really high. And so, you know, that I know I can do. If I decide to behave in a certain way, I know I'm going to be able to behave in that way until I decide to stop. And if we know what result that behavior is most likely to have with another human being, that's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, that's where my interest lies. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. 
It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Well, I think that makes a perfect setup to what I want to spend the majority of our time talking about, um, which is this whole idea of um, using nonverbal communication, uh, you know, to persuade people and to change behavior, not just theirs, but our own as well. And I feel like there's probably an entire goldmine here uh, that we could spend a good half hour, 45 minutes talking about. So let's get into this. I mean, the question that I guarantee you that is coming up in somebody's mind is, okay, Mark, that all sounds awesome. How do I apply it to my life? Yeah, Yeah, sure. Well, so uh, first of all, you got to say, so there are some communications in life that are important and some that aren't very important. Mm -hmm. And there are some communications in life that are going fine anyway. And there are some that aren't going so well. What I'm interested in is the communications that are really important that aren't going so well. Because everything else is going to work, it doesn't matter or it's going to work itself out. So uh, what what we really need to talk about is is how do you use nonverbal communication and your and your behavior on purpose in order to influence and persuade in those communications that are tricky and important mm-hmm. so here's what i'd suggest is is when things are tricky and important we don't have a very positive frame of mind we get confused and the people around us get confused and we get upset, and we get nervous, and we get anxious, and that shows in our behavior. It's designed to show in our behavior, because our behavior is designed to get us the best result for us now. Yeah? Yeah. So when I show anxiety in a conversation, it's designed to show you a behavior that might either stop the conversation now or cause you to behave in a certain way that would be for my benefit. Now. And that's the important thing. It's about now. It's not long term. Nonverbal communication isn't about the long Our natural uh, nonverbal communication is not about long term. It's about get a result for me now. Not a result for us, not a result for you. Get a result for me now. And that's where it all goes wrong. So if you can start to govern your behavior to get a result for us, now and in the future, you'd have much more successful interactions, especially if they're important and tricky ones. Knowing, uh, so knowing that when things get tricky, we usually either, uh, we either do fight or we do flight. Well, in fact, it's a lot bigger than that. We do, we do freeze, then flight. If flight doesn't work, fight. And if fight doesn't work, faint. So you go through this process of, of you're in a tricky conversation and you've kind of gone rigid and you're in that freeze situation because your brain just doesn't know what's going on and you've and you've you're now that that speaker or that communicator that's stiff as a post and uh, and and looks kind of rigid and unnatural mm-hmm. though it's a completely natural reaction and then you become that communicator that's on the back foot and and looks like they want to not be in the room. And then you might become that communicator that looks aggressive and up for a fight. And then you might start to look like that communicator that the blood is draining from their face and they're, and they're about to die <laughs> uh, in, in front of everybody. So we don't want to be that. 
communicator, we want to come across as calm and assertive. So I guess what we've got to know is, is what is the, what is the behavior of somebody who's calm and assertive. And here's the thing that we don't often look at, is when we are most calm and assertive, when we're on top of a communication, when life is going well for us, have you ever noticed the body language that you use? Have you ever noticed your behavior? Because what tends to happen is, is we think, well, the way we'd alter our behavior is to get a different mindset. Mm -hmm. So people will often tell you, you know, don't be scared. Um, uh, it's all right. Don't you know? You'll be fine in doing the speech. Uh, the presentation will be great. Just, just, just tell yourself it's going to be great. But you know, you've got this little voice in your head that's going, "Well, this is going to be a disaster." <laughs> and, and, and the more you tell yourself it's going to be great, the more the little voice in your head goes, "You don't understand how big a disaster this is going to be. They're going to kill you out there. They're going to." Mm. So, uh, what I've found is there's no point in talking yourself into a better frame of mind. You need to act yourself into a better frame of mind. You need to do the behaviors of somebody who's confident, calm, and assertive. And what, what I picked up on, which goes right back to my early training in, in visual theater and physical theater with John, John Wright, is that we used to talk about gesture planes, horizontal planes of gesture. Now, until I came along in this kind of body language scene, nobody had come across this stuff. But this, is, this stuff is in the acting world, well, in a very thin strand of the acting world, is, is literally thousands of years old and has been known throughout the, the, the history of visual theater of telling stories with pictures, which obviously goes back as, as, as old as we humans are, pretty much. What ultimately affects your tone of voice, your feeling, and the way other people feel about you is the horizontal height that you have your hands. So if I actually just demonstrate this with you, obviously you won't be able to see me, hmm. but um, uh, I'm going to actually just stand up and put my hands at different horizontal positions. What I'm going to do right now is allow my hands to just hang down by my side and carry on talking to you. And all I want you to notice is the, um, the rhythm of my voice and the tonality of my voice that comes with my hands hanging down by my uh, side. And, what, and give me some feedback on what your theory is about my state of mind right now and the kind of person that I am. If your hands are by your side? Yeah, I mean, that you're getting from my, my tone of voice right now and the, the, the cadence of it and the rhythm. Um, somebody who's kind of, you know, plagued by self-doubt and not assertive or calm. Right. Or somebody who's scared. Okay, and that's coming across in my, in my tone of voice. So sure. what you need to understand is that that's not who I am, mm -hmm. but you've now have that theory about me by hearing my tone of voice, and my tone of voice was changed simply by hanging my hands down by my side. Nothing emotional has changed about me. Just so, I mean, you're talking about self-doubt, just so you know, uh, last year I was voted the number one body language professional in the world. So... I think there's no reason for self-doubt there. <laughs> sure. and, and clearly from your laughter, you're not convinced by, by that rendition of the, of the fact. Uh -huh. it's, a, it's, a, it's a checkable fact that you can go and check that it's true. Okay. But my guess is, is you're, you don't buy that fact because of my tone of voice. Would that be right? That's pretty fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from the yeah. way you're, that, that's actually an interesting assessment. Yeah. I hadn't, I, I didn't, you know, really process that until you said it, but yeah, without a doubt. Right. So now what I'm going to do is what I've done is now moved my hands to navel height. Yeah. So they're at my belly height rather than hanging down by my sides. They're at belly height. You've probably noticed already my tone of voice has changed immediately. Yeah. Yeah. The rhythm has changed immediately. Okay, let me just give you that checkable fact again. Last year, I was voted the number one body language expert in the world. So you'll get a sense that really there's, there's no reason for any self-doubt around mm -hmm. my abilities in what I do. Now, how do you feel about that fact? 
Oh, I, I, I can tell the difference immediately. If I, if I right. were like, you know, for anybody uh, listening, go back and play it. It's a really, it might seem subtle, but I could tell, uh, you know, I've listened to thousands of people talk and tell, or hundreds at this point, tell, talk and tell their stories. And so I could immediately tell a difference. Right. So my guess is, is that with the tonality that comes with my hands at navel height, at belly height, it's actually the, the, the gesture plane that I call the truth plane. Mm-hmm. You are, you're actually designed to pick up on that tonality. And if you could see it, you'd get an even bigger impact from this, by the way, because we pay more attention to what we see than what we hear. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, but even with just changing the tone of voice that naturally comes from this, my guess is you feel what I said was more credible and I'm more calm, assertive, and confident about it. Yeah. Yeah. Now what I'm going to do is move my hands. I've now moved my hands up to chest level, kind of sternum level. Okay. And I want you to notice now what's happened to the difference in my voice and the cadence within it and the rhythm within it now. And and now I'm just going to give you that checkable fact again is that last year I was voted the number one body language uh, professional in the world. So just to let you know, I'm, I'm very confident about, about my abilities and what I do. And so what I want you to to have a, uh, give me some feedback on now is now what's your judgment about me as somebody speaking to you and also what's your judgment about that, that fact? Now, you've, now it was said with that rhythm and cadence that naturally comes with my hands at this chest level height. Well, I mean, my reaction isn't the, the one that it was before, which is one of laughter. It's okay, yeah, obviously. Right. <laughs> right. So you, you, you're getting a, a bigger sense of energy. What we know about this gesture plane of, of hands at, at, uh, at chest height is that the heart rate goes up and the breathing rate goes up, not only of the person who is delivering, but also of the person listening. So if, if you would actually monitor your heart rate at the moment, you, you'd, you'd notice that it's gone higher because you're following the rhythm and the cadence uh, the breathing pattern that comes with that. You'll be find that you'll be breathing in a different way. And just to demonstrate that, yeah, and how I, quickly I can change your breathing and your feeling, I'm just going to drop my hands down by my side mm-hmm. and carry on talking to you. Yeah. And notice how quickly your breathing pattern changes and your vocal tone. Notice how when you went, yeah, yeah, uh, you, you're, yeah, you just done it again. Your vocal tone is downward inflected, whereas if you go back and play, you're uh, talking to me in between, especially when I'm just going to go back up to that passion plane, up to the chest level, yeah, you'll notice that you have upward inflections when you're talking to me. So you quickly mirror my behavior. So that was just a quick kind of journey through these gesture planes. You've got the the truth plane at belly height. You've got the passion plane at chest height. And hands down by the side, you've got what I call the grotesque plane. (laughs) Yeah. And the reason I call it grotesque is because it's from a nice uh, medieval Latin uh, word, uh, grotesque means from the caves, from the grottos. Uh-huh. So it's a bit kind of darker, covert, more sleepy uh, down there. There's a whole bunch of other gesture planes that go higher than the, than the chest, one of concealing and revealing and thought and ecstatic, which is right above your head, which actually I'll just do for you now. Uh, my, my hands now, as I'm talking to you, are right above my head, and you'll notice how quickly it changes my tone of voice and how rapidly I'm, ge- I'm ge- getting my information across to you. You'll notice how your breathing patterns have changed, your ability to to key into the different words and the content that I'm using, uh, and <clears throat> you'll notice how much more calm and assertive you'll feel about me and my content as my hands come again to the truth plane. So you can see how rapidly I can change my behavior, my performance, and your experience uh, of me. And I hope that kind of comes across over the, over the sound for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, this, this raises a whole series of questions for me, some of which I'm going to ask for very personal reasons. Sure, sure. Uh, okay, so I, I want to take this out of the context of the conversation that you and I are having and start looking at it in the context of everyday situations. Um, you know, you, you talked about communication that's really important, not going well. Uh, let, let's use an example that every human being can relate to talking with a member of the opposite sex, right? Sure. Some sure. of so, us are fantastic at it. Some of us are horrible at it. And how does this affect that? I mean, even for say a person who is married and wants to have better communication with a spouse or somebody with a significant other, or even for the single person who wants to come across more attractive, like how do we take this and apply it in that context? Yeah. So, so let's not start. Let's, move away from thinking about talking to the opposite sex right. and now talk about behaving with the, the opposite 
sex All right. and think about how would we behave in such a way that might engage others. Mm. So uh, people are engaged. People uh, people are more engaged uh, with people who look more friendly, sure. look more open. Yeah. So how can you be more open? Whether you're talking to somebody who you're trying to attract or just trying to talk to your, your you know, life partner and you know each other well, but it's a conversation whereby you need to show your openness. Mm-hmm. It's no good saying, uh, I'm, I'm really open to hearing what you have to say. Right. <laughs> because I just put my hands down by my side, uh-huh. slumped and said that, and you heard the tonality of voice, and immediately you knew I'm not open and I'm despondent about this. Okay. Yeah? Now, if I sit upright, I have my hands open at belly height and I say I'm really open to hearing what you have to say. My guess is is that you felt that was more honest and true. Yeah. Yeah. Now, hey, the, the reality is I might be despondent, but showing my despondence at this point is that going to be helpful to us? And so maybe I have to choose to behave in a way that is optimistic and open when actually I feel unoptimistic and closed. You know, sometimes we're open-hearted and sometimes we're closed-hearted. Yeah? Yeah. And, and, but you can behave in such a way that looks more open-hearted and actually, if you carry on behaving like that, actually opens you up. So I would say, if you're in a conversation uh, where you need to attract people to you and, and get them to open up and talk to you, you need to have more attractive, open behaviors. So a smile would be an example right. of that as well. So often people don't investigate how to smile. Mm-hmm. They either think, well, you're either smiling or you're not smiling, and you can't you can't fake a smile. Well, of course, you can absolutely fake a smile. <laughs> yeah, and, and people will often go, oh, yeah, but, but you know, um, there was this person or there's this person on TV and, I, and they'll usually, it'll usually be a, be a politician. And they'll usually say, I can tell that they're, they're faking that smile. And I'll say, well, they're just not very good at faking it. It's like, it's like having actors that are, they're good actors and they're really bad actors. And the good ones are really good and the bad ones are really bad. And then you've got everything in between. And the bad ones will never give a good performance. And the good ones, you'll forget that they're an actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah? They'll be, they'll be a, a personality, somebody who you, who you see in magazines. And at some point in the film, you'll just lose sight of the fact that it's somebody pretending to do something. And you'll be absorbed by it. So... You know, how do you get good at, at, at smiling on purpose? Well, the, the, the true smile, the Duchenne smile, has both upturn of the lips and narrowed eyes, so you get little wrinkles at the side. And you, you can just practice doing that, but you have to practice doing it. Nobody becomes good at anything really by accident. Or if they do, it's a bit worrying because accident isn't that repeatable. Right. So you want to get good at stuff by purposely practicing doing it based on, first of all, observing. I, I think this is the number one important thing. Um, and again, it goes back to my days of studying and studying visual theatre and, and, and uh, visual theatre, is we'd always go and study the thing first, copy it, mimic it, which is where you get the idea of mime, comes from Latin, mimosis, to copy. You'd, you'd study something, you'd copy it, and then you'd be able to reproduce it on demand. So study smiles, copy smiles and learn how to reproduce a smile on demand. If you do that, you'll notice the smile makes you happy. Hmm. We, we're, we're designed in such a way that if the body is doing it, the brain is, is, a, is not as clever as we'd think, and it kind of goes, well, if the body's doing that, then we must be in that state of mind. You know, we wouldn't be smiling unless there was a real reason to smile, so there must be a real reason to smile, and then the, the brain will just make it up. It'll make up the world being nice and good. But you have to sustain it physically, and that you have to do on purpose. And that is essentially uh, unnatural. It's an act. It's the act of doing the natural stuff that you do 
when you're in a certain state. I hope that makes some kind of sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So l- let me ask you this. Uh, you, one of the things that you mentioned is when we get into uncomfortable situations, what happens is you go into freeze, flight, fight, flight, and then faint. Yeah. You know, so the thing that has always challenged me with situations like that is the space between the space between stimulus and response. Oh yeah, and the fact that I'm like, okay, how do I create the space between stimulus and response so I can control the response? Yeah, that's a really uh, astute uh, observation. Yeah, because you'll probably have noticed you've when you get into a, a situation of fear or unconfidence, mm-hmm. it's over by the time that you've actually turned around and gone, oh, I was really unconfident. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, it, it's just over too quick. So first of all, you've got to start monitoring uh, how you actually feel, what your body does when you're unconfident or you're fearful. Hmm. Yeah? So that you can pick up on some of the subtle things it starts to do when you're going into that state and you can interrupt that state and or countermeasure that state with other behaviors. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Now, even better, you could start to monitor the kinds of environments that cause you to be unconfident. Now, if you know you're going into that environment, you start to countermeasure the behaviors that you don't want to see immediately before you've even walked into that environment. There are some days where I know I'm going into an environment that's going to trigger me with anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, So I start the behaviors of somebody who isn't anxious right from the moment I get up in the morning. So for me, that's an Indian wedding. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. So, so the, my guess is, is you, you pretty much know when you're going to one. Oh, they don't. T- they don't take you by surprise. Yeah, and of course, you know, I have all sorts of smart ass answers planned for everybody who asks me why I'm not married. Uh, right. That's why I think it's a pretty interesting example of exactly what you're talking ah, about. Ah, so that's great. So, so that tells me that number one, you know, you know quite a way in advance of when this event has occurred mm-hmm. is going to occur. My guess is you get an invitation, yeah, and the invitation has a date on it, and and you also know the script that's going to get played in that. Uh, environment, and you know the kind of behavior you're going to play back, they're going to say, why aren't you married? And you're going to have a smart answer for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah? yeah? So so this might not be a behavior that you want. So now we want what we want to do is change that environment so that you perform differently. Okay. So we, so we investigate, what could we change about? So there are things like, like don't go. Mm-hmm. This is, is what, if you, if you don't like the way that you're behaving, then never show up to the event. But of course, it's like, man, it's a social event and actually I should go and there's a whole bunch of benefits. I just don't like the downside. Like an open bar. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like I don't want to, you know, the, the upside of the open bar is, is, is way more important than, than, than missing <laughs> out on it. No, I, I, totally, I totally understand. I totally understand. So now we've got to know, so what is the kind of behavior, what's the kind of body language you're going to start, you'd naturally start doing as you walk into that environment, knowing how the script's going to play out. So give me, give me an idea of, in your mind, of kind of how you're positioned and how you walk in and how you sit and how you stand currently at these, um, at these Indian okay. weddings. So, you know, I, I'm probably dressed well, but I walk in already in this headspace of, oh God, here we go again. Okay. Um, you know, thinking I'm going to have to have a lot of very uncomfortable conversations and my inclination is to give smart ass remarks to shut people up so I don't have to talk to them. Right. So tell me about, you told me about the mindset of, mm. oh God, here we go again. Yeah. What does that look like? I need to know what is your body and you need to know what does your body do mm. when you're in the mindset? It's tense. Of- it's, tense. Ah. it's incredibly tense. Like every, you know, like my heart is racing. I'm like, ah, you know, like I'm tight and tense. That's really what it is more than anything else. Right. You were to describe the the body feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And when you said, um, I'm tight and tense, I'm just going to mirror how you said tight and tense. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what I've done to get that tight and tense feeling is I've shrugged my shoulders up towards my neck. Hmm. Okay. So my guess is, is your body probably does much the same thing. Yeah. When you're at these things, my guess is, is you're probably doing the shrug gesture, which is designed to protect the carotid artery as a windpipe from attack. That's the, the reason for the shrug gesture is to protect the neck area. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so one thing I might tell you is we're, we're going to just learn how to totally relax our shoulders. Okay. Yeah. And the one thing you're going to do from the, from the, the moment you walk in there is be really relaxed in your shoulders, really relax your shoulders. In fact, you're going to relax the whole of your body. If I was to think of tight and tense is like, um, there's a bomb in the room. Sure. Yeah. And it's about to explode. Well, there yeah. usually is. <laughs> right, it could well be. <laughs> it could well be. It's called an old Indian mom. <laughs> yes, exactly. Not mine, she's gonna, but other she's ones. Gonna, she's going to explode on you. Yeah. And, and so y- your body is in that tense situation, mm-hmm. okay? How would your body be if you're on a walk down the beach? Well, you're walking along. insane amounts of time at the beach, incredibly relaxing. Right. So here's what I'd like you to do. Next Indian wedding you go to, yeah? It's obviously, we're not going to trick the mind in going, oh yeah, an Indian wedding is like a beach. It's not. It's an Indian <laughs> wedding, okay? So there's no psychological trickery here. Right. All I want you to do is next time you're on the beach is really look at how you walk, uh-huh. yeah, and how you, the tension in your body. Sure. Yeah? I'd like you to walk into that Indian wedding with that same tension in your body. Okay. Yeah? Like, so you have, it's not like it's a walk on the beach, because it isn't. Right. Okay? But you're walking into an Indian wedding with the same tension in your body as when you walk on the beach. Okay. Yeah? And when that, that Indian mum comes up to you and gives you that question of, so why aren't you married? Yeah? I say, do you have a single daughter? <laughs> yeah. But what I, what I want you to do is reply to her in any way you like, but mm-hmm. with the tension of, okay. I'm, I'm walking along the beach. Interesting. And see what comes out of your mouth. All right. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Now, you've got to trust me about this because often people go, well, Mark, it can't be that easy. It can't be that. But I, I'm going to guarantee you that if you walk into that Indian wedding yeah, with the same body that you walk on the beach and you talk to that Indian mum with the same body that you walk along the beach, you're going to have a whole different Indian wedding. Yeah, that Indian wedding is going to change. Very cool. You'll have never been to an Indian wedding like this. Yeah, and, and there's something about you that will show up to that Indian wedding that's never shown up before. Hmm. And that could be something very interesting, could well happen there but certainly it's going to be one of the most relaxed indian weddings you've been to i love this this is so brilliant and i love that that we've used that as the context in the practical example of this uh you know i I think that makes a really really fitting and hilarious way to wrap up our conversation mark i have one last question for you which is uh how i ask uh how i finish every interview at the unmistakable creative what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable oh gosh Wow, that's a really great, great question. What is it that makes somebody unmistakable? Um, it's, it's that they have made a choice. They have made that choice bigger. Yeah, they've, they've, they've amplified it. And then they've kept it tidy. They haven't added anything to it. They've just gone, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm about. In fact, let's just make that even bigger. I'm, I'm, I'm about an even bigger version of what I thought I was about. And I'm not going to add anything to this to augment it. It's, it's that level of clarity mm. about them that, that makes them unmistakable. There's no mess. It's just totally clear. I think that's my answer. Amazing. Uh, Mark, I have to say, this has been one of my favorite conversations I've had in a long time. Uh, Thank you. I I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share some of your story and your journey and and some of your really, truly, you know, thought-provoking insights with our listeners. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a lovely interview. And thanks for taking the time to to do a very um, different and uh, standout interview. Thank you. And for everybody listening, we will wrap with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.